podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another video and podcast from fantasyfootballscout.co.uk. My name is David and today I am joined by Tom, or rather Tom should rather say he's joined by me because of course I'm filling in for Joe, uh, the usual host of Goals Imminent and we're here to discuss the players that haven't been scoring as many goals as they should do but probably will start firing in the back of the net this week. That's the theory, isn't it, Tom? And it's good, it's good to have you here and good to be on this video, to be honest. I've always enjoyed doing Goals Imminent. It's been a while, so how are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Thanks, David. Yeah, looking forward to game week four already. We've got, um, obviously starts on Friday. We've got an international break after. So um, lots to think about. Ideally want to be going into that break with a green arrow. So um, yeah, looking forward to it. Mm. Yeah, and uh, lots of people in the chat also looking forward to things as well. We've got um, one of your mates in the chat, uh, Tom, uh, Aston Villa Bozzi, uh, who said, uh, good to see <laughs> Neto with an assist. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about last yeah. week and what was predicted. So um, it's the, the goals imminent table continues to be in, in fine fettle. We've got uh, Sokan1 in the chat as well, FPL Marshall, David Orr, who uh, says good day from uh, Angestralia, which I'm, I'm guessing is some kind of Postacogli reference. So it's good to have some, some more Aussies. Whenever the Aussies watch our content, they are watching it from a quite ludicrous time of day no matter what time it's on because we don't do any content for you guys that's a reasonable hour so it's always good to have you in the chat uh, and josh here as well um <laughs> we've got lots of villa questions which probably makes a lot of sense we probably are going to talk about watkins today it's a good job we do have a villa fan in the house tom <laughs> Yeah, yeah, although I don't own Watkins, and I think um, you benefited from a couple of Villa players this week, didn't you, David, with um, Cash and Diaby the Abbey too? Yeah, I had Cash and Diaby, so yeah. I mean, I'm trying to keep it quiet because I, I do my own team reveal video anyway, so on all the other videos I'm doing, it's all sort of part of the structure to talk about, oh, and my team this week, and I just feel really bad because okay. I think I'm having to mention it loads. So I'm going to say that now, that's the disclaimer, so that when I do mention it later, you at least know I feel bad about it rather than <laughs> just trying to gloat the whole time. But, you know, Villa are in my good books right now. I'm very, very happy with um, with them. And so, yeah, to everybody in the chat, if you've got any questions, we, we usually have a bit of Q&A at the end, of course. And um, if you want to uh, send questions in as we're, as we're chatting and going through some of the tables, then, uh, then do so. Um, we'll do our best to get to as many of the questions as we can. But as is the usual sort of YouTube way of things, if you want a definite categorical definite answer to your question uh, then send in a super chat and you'll definitely get an answer and if you and then other ones will just do our best um, before we jump into things just a couple of uh, other bits of housekeeping first things first of course is a lot of this information is going to come to you from the fantasy football scout members area uh, and so that if you've not sorted out your membership for the start, start of uh, game week four it's not too late you can still save up to 30 percent on those preseason prices and you'll be able to access the goals imminent table in real time and you don't have to listen to people like me talk about it that's the main benefit uh, and we've also got a word uh, from our sponsor as well. Uh, this uh, week's video uh, is sponsored by Betway, the principal partners of West Ham and betting partner of Brighton. On Friday, they announced their Heroes of the Weekend, bet £10 on player markets, top scorer of the Heroes, and they will credit a £1 free bet for every point up to £20. Betway are also running giveaways, including shirts and tickets of West Ham and Brighton. We know that not everybody gambles, which is something we take very seriously, which is why on our website, we have a filter you can turn on, which allows you to opt out of gambling ads. For those who do enjoy it, enjoy it responsibly and safely. Uh, you, of course, have to be 18 or over to play. And we encourage absolutely everybody to gamble responsibly and to be gambleaware.org uh, when the fun stops, stop. But speaking of fun, it's not stopping when it comes to the goals imminent table, right, Tom? Because once again, more success. We had Jackson getting a goal last week uh, and I think Fernandez as well. Yeah, I haven't got the tables in front of me, but Jackson and uh, Fernandez off goals imminent um, scored. Um, I think 
think it was a bit of crossover. Gross was on the one table and then he got the goal as well. On assists, imminent Gibbs White did really well. He got a couple of assists at Old Trafford um, and Neto as well. You know, we were we were chatting quite a bit about Wolves um, last week, and quite a few players were appearing on the tables. They've been they've been taking a lot of shots. And um, look, I don't think it was a vintage attacking performance at um, Goodison Park, but um, Neto um, he got the assist late on. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if. Um, those Wolves players continue on the the next uh, the next tables, which I, I think they probably will. But let's see. Yeah, but they very much are still um, heavily popular in mm. the uh, the goals imminent table. And just to clarify for anyone who's, who's not aware, just to how the goals imminent table works. I mean, first things first, we of course have to give massive credit to uh, the the usual host of this show, uh, being Joe, who probably doesn't give himself enough credit for this because he's a very humble man. Um, this this table has been propping up a lot of FPL teams for a number of years now. Uh, it, it's it's an automated one, so it sort of populates itself based on the data that's happening in real time in Premier League games so you need a minimum of 10 goal attempts with a maximum of one goal uh, and 0.5 XGNP min for the last four matches uh, has to be matches rather than game weeks as an un, uh, it, just in case you know you get some blanks involved as well um, uh, ahead of game week four this does focus on a minimum of five goal attempts instead of minimum of 10 so it is going to shift when we move into the game week five but in effect what it encapsulates is players who are aren't necessarily scoring too many goals, but they probably should have been based on the number of shots that they've uh, been having. So what we can see on the table so far, let's, let's, let's stick with Wolves. You know, let's be countercultural. I'm sure there's lots of people out there talking about your, your Jacksons and your Watkins, and we will get to them. But we've got Mateus Cunha, we've got Pedro Neto and Fabio Silva all still on the goals imminent table uh, heading into game week four. So probably on the fringe of people's radars, but their fixtures get quite good around game week six or seven, I think. So it's worth knowing this stuff, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, well, they've got they've got Palace coming up, haven't they? And then they've got Liverpool, but I think they play Luton after that. The, the fixtures are a bit of a mixed bag for Wolves and it's hard to get, I said last week, it's hard to get too excited about their attackers. Um, they've obviously got Gary O'Neill who's gone in and he's um, I think he's trying to get them to to be a little bit more front foot they've been taking a lot of shots it hasn't quite translated into goals yet but the the fact that you know they've, they've got a lot of players appearing on these tables so immediately take note I think Neto is my favourite player who's of course a, a, a massive bandwagon last season in pre-season and it, it didn't take off uh, for various reasons, and he got injured again. Um, he's the player I think I like the most out of those three, but he's very hard to fit in. Um, there's a lot of midfielders around at the moment, isn't there? So you're probably looking at, if at anybody, at Cunha. But again, I don't know what you think, David, but I would, I would certainly say there's probably two or three forwards around about that price point, which are a bit further ahead at the moment. Yeah, I, I think so. And um, yeah, I think Wolves are going to be one of these teams where, um, as you say, their fixtures are a bit bitty. It's sort of like decent here, not so good there. So it's Palace away next, which actually I actually don't think is actually that much of a favourable fixture because I think Palace are better than most of the tickers kind of give yeah. the credit for. Liverpool at home is not a nice one either. Luton away, that could be maybe when you maybe would think about it. Uh, but then the City at home, then Villa at home, of course, as Tom can attest to, you know, Euro, a strong European side there. Uh, then Bournemouth away game week nine. So it's 
it's maybe a wild card thing. Game week nine is when people are really thinking about it, uh, to be honest. That that might be the time to do it. And just for the benefit of the podcast listeners, I will go through some of uh, the numbers then. So um, Mateus Cunha, he's had uh, five shots in the box. Um, he's started all three games, two shots on target, uh, no goals. Neto, no goals as well. He's had six shots in the box um, and just two on target. Um, and then Fabio Silva, just the two starts, five shots in the box, three on target, no goal. So none of them have scored yet. Uh, and it's, it's worth saying that clearly the issue actually is kind of accuracy. Sometimes the players who graduate from this table, because this is a place you don't want to be for long, are the ones that are having lots of shots in the box. The shots are on target and maybe they're just being unfortunate in the quality of the goalkeeper or maybe they're just snatching at them so they can't quite push it into the top bins instead of to the top glove of the goalkeeper. We, we, probably, want, we probably need some better accuracy from the Wolves guys before we really start considering them in the same breath as some of the other names we're going to talk about in a minute. Yeah, I'd agree with that. You do have people who have watched this show for a while will know that you have those players that keep popping up every single week. And um, then you then you have to, to our start asking questions. You know, a player like um, Darwin Nunes was was on this table a lot last year. Um, funnily enough, he, he, you know, he was brilliant at the weekend and scored a couple of cracking goals. But um, yeah, if... if we, we might see Wolves player pop up, pop up and on these tables quite a bit. And um, then you really need to kind of delve into the numbers and, and start asking why, um, why that might be. But um, yeah, I mean, aside from Wolves, there's some, there's other players on this list, which, uh, which are really appealing and, and perhaps have some better fixtures to boot as well. Mm. Well, that seems like a, a decent segue to talk about Chelsea because their their fixtures are continuing to look very, very nice. Over the next six games, mm. they're second highest on the season ticket for overall fixture difficulty. Forest at home, Bournemouth away, Villa at home, Fulham away, Burnley away, and then Arsenal at home, which... It's not necessarily as, as bad a fixture for attacking returns as, as maybe some suspect because Arsenal don't necessarily always keep too many clean sheets. And on the goals in minute table right now, we've got Enzo Fernandez, five shots in the box, um, one shot on target, no goals. So he needs to do some work with his accuracy. Uh, but with Jackson, all about volume here. He's got one goal in his last three. That, of course, that came against Luton. Ten shots in the box, which is more than anybody on goals in minute table heading into game week four. Uh, five shots on target, which, of course, is, is a sort of 50%. Uh, accuracy there but at the same time he is also higher than anybody else on the goals imminent table for those shots on target so it's really all about the volume with him we've seen many players in the past if they're shooting lots and they're having um, a proportionate number of shots on target as well they're someone to, to really go for right yeah absolutely I mean as an owner it was more relief when he scored in the the second half on Friday he had had a really poor first half his first touch was off but um, looked like a different player in the second half. He held the ball up really well. He created a few chances. You know, he, I think came out with seven points, but he, he was actually unlucky not to hit double figures because um, I think it was Chilwell first and then Sterling missed decent opportunities from his passes. Um, but he got the goal he deserved. We flagged him up on the table the week before. We 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 thought, you know, he's getting that many opportunities that a goal was coming, and it did. I think he's had... I think I'm right in saying he's had all of his big chances in his home matches so far, which bodes well for for this weekend when he's got Forrest at home, a side that Forrest, I think, have improved this year, but they tend to concede quite a few goals away from home. They normally concede two or more. So 
think if you own Jackson, you're in a really nice place now for this, what, five really good fixtures coming up for him. Yeah, you made a good point on the big chances as well, because if you compare the goals imminent uh, people this week, he's also top for that particular stat as well. So there's not really a whole lot wrong here. Um, His uh, XG delta at the moment is just minus 1.04, which, you know, just goes to show he's not hit his stride yet. And there's a good comment in the chat from Artie Whitby. He says, Jackson scored uh, and he's still underperforming, which suggests that he could, you know, have got a brace in that particular game. There's definitely more to come from him in the future. Um, and it's, it's nice to see him here. What we, We've seen people come to the Premier League from elsewhere before, spend a bit of time here. I know Werner was on here for a while. Uh, but again, it's just, it. there were just subtle little bits and bobs that showed you, okay, he's got work to do here. We've just got none of that with Jackson. It's all clear signs that this is a guy who can do very well uh, in the next uh, couple of weeks. While we're on the subject of Chelsea, I mean, Enzo Fernandez um, has been involved in the penalties, I I think. Um, He is underperforming against his XG of minus 1.25. I think there's a missed penalty in that. Um, Correct, yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, but a 5 million, you know, it's not an awful price. uh, But, you know, he's here as well, probably in a different breath to Jackson, though. Yeah, although he has been playing a bit more advanced. You always kind of think of Enzo as this deeper line midfielder, but he played the 10 role on um, Friday against Luton. He has a share of set plays. I think he took six corners. I think Chilwell was on the couple, but he's got the monopoly on on set pieces there. And so if if he continues playing in behind the striker um, in that role at five million, he's probably going to do well. I think longer term, I don't think that's his position in the team. I think once Nkunku comes back, he'll be the one to take that spot. But for now... Um, if he's got Casado and he's got Gallagher behind him, he's obviously going to be able to roam forward quite a bit. So I don't actually dislike him for this immediate run of fixtures. If you uh, if you can't reach Sterling, who's I think seven point one now, um, Enzo might not be a bad alternative. Mm, yeah, certainly, and then of course with penalties as well, uh, always helps. Um, I was going to take it to, yeah. to Villa next, but there's a couple of people talking about Eze. So while I remember, because I want to read out these comments, let's talk about Eze because um, yeah. uh, Pratik says is Eze worth the money? He seems to be dreadfully unlucky. Well, dreadfully unlucky. You go. That's that's just bread and butter goals imminent stuff right there. Uh, and then we've also got uh, Alex who says Eze is the one to bring in over Madison this week. So interesting um, claim there. I'm not sure I completely agree with that exact comparison. I think I would rather have Madison than Eze. But the goals imminent table demonstrates the story of Eze's season so far, doesn't it? 16 goal attempts, seven in the box. So 16 goal attempts is the most of any player on goals imminent seven in the box is uh the third highest he's behind only Rashford and Jackson now the issue of course is just the two shots on target uh that's 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 actually terrible accuracy right there uh underperforming is xg by minus 1.12 zero goals so far um but as Pratik says unlucky right yeah, I think that the big chances column is probably the most interesting with Eze. Yes, he's taken 16 shots, but none of them have been what I would call clear-cut chances. But I still like Eze a lot. I think he has been a bit unfortunate because he's a massive creator in that team too. But maybe they're feeling the effects of um, you know key players being out there with with Olise and um, Zaha not there as well. I think if you own Eze, as frustrating as it's been because... Similarly, price players like Mbomo have been performing. I still think he's a hold because they've got three really nice fixtures in the next uh, home fixtures in the next five. I think, what is it? Let me just have a look. It's Wolves, Fulham and Forest. So trickier away games, but three good home fixtures in the next five. 
I would be tempted to stick with him. He might be on penalties too. Um, that's if owners haven't lost faith already, because um, three blanks in a row is pretty hard to take when, when, like I say, so many others around that price point are delivering. Mm. Yeah, I think if I had him, I'd definitely hold him because there's enough to, mm. to like about him. I don't have him. So my current situation with him is is to look to the future. And I think where he becomes the most compelling is around game week 11, when you get Burnley yeah. away, Everton at home, Luton away, West Ham away, Bournemouth at home. And then, of course, it goes Liverpool, City, Brighton. So, you know, I'm looking at maybe a five week long dalliance with him rather than, um, you know, building my team around him. But, you know, I mean, we could be saying something completely different if in the next couple of weeks... What we need from Eze is we need some of these stats on this table to continue. We want to see that continual volume of shots. Um, but what we need to see is, as you say, a slight uptick in the quality and the accuracy as well. And we know he can do it. We've seen him do that at the end of last season. Right. I think, again, what this table always demonstrates is these are people that are blanking at the moment for the most part, but it's not for the lack of trying. And I'd much rather have a player in my team who's blanking but not for the lack of trying, than someone who's blanking and hasn't is making no impact on any of the stats at all. So, um, yeah. It, but it is a tricky place to be in because, as you say, there's a lot of midfielders that they are trying and they are returning. So, yeah, it's definitely worth um, having that little chat about Eze, uh, to be honest. But let, let's bring it. Let's bring this to the, the subject where there's nobody else in the fantasy world I trust more to talk about Aston Villa than yourself, Tom. So we might as well jump in now because we've got so many, so many people asking about this. Um, Artie Whitby saying, I'm unlucky. I've got Watkins. Uh, you know, it feels bad having <laughs> Watkins at the moment. Um, you know, we've got... Um, just see if I can find some more. Um, there was loads of them. I can't find them now. Um, effectively, everyone's like needs an opinion on Watkins because of the likes of Jackson doing what he's been doing and the fixtures as they've gone as well. They are nicer for Chelsea. Um, yeah, yeah. What, do you, what, do you, what do you do with Watkins? Um, yeah, well, I'll just go through the stats and then, yeah. So three starts, yeah. seven shots in the box. That's the uh, joint third best on goals imminent. Um, three shots on target, four big chances. So he's performing really well compared to the other guys. Um, no goals yet, underperforming his XG by minus 1.57, but I think has got an assist in every game so far. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, he's ticking along. He's got three assists in three, um, five points in each of them. But I think if you're an owner, you want you want to see goals, don't you? And that hasn't happened so far, but he's been getting chances. He's been thwarted by some good goalkeeping um, at Burnley and against Everton in the match before that when, when Pickford made a decent save. Um, I think if you look at the beyond this season, I think he's only got one goal in his last 10 Premier League matches, but I'm not seeing anything in the performances to suggest that that is for anything else apart from that he's just been a bit unlucky. The system is largely the same. I know Diaby's come in. We've gone to this kind of three in the back in possession kind of idea, but he's still the focal point of that attack. He's still getting chances. He's still racking up XG, as you can see. And um, okay, he's, he's lost penalties. Douglas Louise has taken over. He was never very good at them in the first place, but it is still a bit of a blow losing penalties. I don't, I don't care if he's that good. It, I would rather my striker be on pens. Um, but still, I think he's a, he's a really good forward to hold. He's going to Anfield this weekend. Um, Liverpool will be without Van Dijk, who's suspended. So I think that that could be a better fixture than what the ticker makes out. You know, it's a dark red on there. But in reality, I think that, you know, I think we can go to Anfield and score one or two. 
Um, I think maybe people have seen Diaby come in. He's obviously made a real impact. He's cheaper. Um, but I think Watkins is a fine hold um, if you want to. But I completely understand now if you would make the move to Jackson. Just looking at those next kind of four fixtures. Villa have got Liverpool, Palace, Chelsea and Brighton. And Chelsea have got Forest, Bournemouth, Villa and, and Fulham. So I think that... It depends what type of manager you are, doesn't it? But if, you, if you're going to play the fixtures, then I think Jackson's the, probably the one to have. But there's absolutely nothing wrong with holding Watkins if you've got other fires to put out. Yeah, I, I think so. And alternatively, mm. people could switch to Sterling in midfield if they if they wanted to, uh, so that they could hold on to Watkins if maybe they're looking at a Rashford or a Martinelli or something. Um, you know, they're players that are on people's chopping blocks at the moment. Salah is another mm. one, to be honest. Uh, so, yeah. so there's a possible route there. A couple of other mm. things in the chat, actually. Uh, Aston Villa-Bozzi, uh, your mate from the beginning, uh, has pointed out, of course, that Watkins does have a Premier League hat-trick against Liverpool to his name, and that was a game where they even actually had Van Dijk on the pitch. So, um, Yeah, and he scored a hat-trick just to jump in. He scored a hat-trick in Europe last week. You know, it's not like um, it's not like he's not scoring this year. He is scored in Europe as well. So, um, and of course, it's always nice to be reminded of the hat-trick against <laughs> Liverpool. So, um, so, yeah, I think he's an absolutely fine hold. I get why people, I think a lot of people made the Watkins to um, Jackson move last week. But if you still want to do it to capitalise, if you like what you see of Jackson in the second half, do it. But Watkins is fine to hold too. And it, I think, he, you know, he's, he hasn't blanked yet, you know. Um, OK, it's only been three assists, but he'll continue ticking along nicely. Yeah, it does definitely come down to what the specifics of each team are, to be honest, because mm, Jackson does 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 outperform Watkins statistically over the first three. So 10 shots in the box to Watkins seven, five big chances to Watkins four, five shots on target to Watkins three. Uh, XGI is 2.28, Watkins is 1.73. So it's just how much is a transfer worth to your team to do that? To be perfectly mm. honest, if I could have it any which way I wanted, I'd actually probably want to have Watkins and Jackson. Uh, I suppose DRB is in the conversation as well. So anyone who doesn't have either and feels like they need to get one of them. The interesting thing is, and I'm saying this as a DRB owner, I'm not trying to put people off getting DRB to help him stay a differential or, or whatever. But the interesting thing is also that despite the fact that DRB has seven more points than Watkins, Watkins still actually is statistically outperforming DRB uh, as well. So mm. 16 touches in the box for Watkins and an extra sort of like half an hour of game time because he's more essential to the team to 11 touches in the box for Diaby. Uh, Watkins has created seven chances. Diaby's created six. And Diaby has two assists, I think. or uh, No, so he's got an assist and two goals, I should say. Um, yeah. Watkins is is the is better for creation, and he's got three assists. Uh, shots in the box for Watkins, seven to Diaby, six. Four big chances for Watkins to Diaby's one. Uh, XGI, 1.73 to Diaby's 1.16. It's just that the goal conversion rate at the moment is in yeah. Diaby's favour. 25% for him, 0% for Watkins. So... There's there's not even alarm bells ringing in my mind that Watkins isn't necessarily no. the best Villa player either because I think they're both going to do well and the numbers are actually telling us that Watkins should probably over the course of a standard game, three game period probably outperform DRB anyway so I wouldn't be necessarily making rash decisions to make that switch I guess. Absolutely, yeah. DRB is a good option. He's come into the team. He's playing an essential role in behind Watkins. He's getting beyond Watkins sometimes, he's dropping deep, he's getting used to the team, but he's just a quality player and you can see that against um, Burnley, he only played for 60 minutes against Everton, but you can see that. But they're both going to be really good options going forward and again, it's team dependent. 
I would argue now that there's so many good midfield options, Watkins is perhaps the easier one to hold. But again, it, it depends on the makeup of your team um, and, 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 and what moves you want to make, really. But yeah, both Villa are an exciting team this year. I mean, um, I'm normally a pessimistic Villa fan, but this <laughs> year, um, I'm, 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 even though I was a bit pessimistic after game week one, but we've turned it round and we've put in three good performances since, including Europe. So, um, yeah, it's all looking pretty positive at the moment and uh, we're scoring lots of goals, which is great to see. Yeah, absolutely. It's nice to see Villa uh, meeting at the top table again, to be honest. I I, I really mm. enjoyed the, uh, I think it was sort of like the mid-noughties when, you know, troubling European spots. It was, it was a good team to watch. It's nice to have yeah. you back in, in that sort of conversation, <laughs> to be honest. So, yeah, yeah, watching watching on with uh, sort of neutral uh, respect, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. Quick uh, shout out to Pratik. Uh, I hadn't actually seen your question when he said, apologies if it's already answered, but who would you prefer out of Watkins and Diaby? Well, we already told you without prompting. So great minds think alike there, Pratik. That's, that's good to see. Um, let's move on now to a different part of the goals imminent table. Let's talk about Manchester United because we've got Bruno Fernandes who is still there and we've got Rashford who's still there. Um, again, I mean, we, we had a couple of uh, points made about Jackson, for example, you know, actually got some returns in game week three, but it's still on the goals imminent table, which shows there's probably more to come. And it's worth talking about United this week because uh, there's a lot of people considering moving on their Man United midfielder, especially in a world where James Madison has been uh, James Madisoning uh, to the best of his ability. That seems to be the transfer people uh, are looking at. But Bruno Fernandes, only one goal, admittedly, but five shots in the box, 13 goal attempts in total. So he's second highest for that stat. Five in the box, four on target. So uh, that's uh, joint second most amongst the goals imminent guys. Uh, three big chances as well. One goal, and of course, on penalties and has really good assist potential, which we'll look at on the next table. Rashford, no goals, uh, eight shots in the box. Um, of all the people on this table, only Jackson has more than that. Just a three on target. Um, two big chances, no goals. So that's what people are working with with their United assets. Um, Madison really does force the question, I suppose. Um, yeah, what's your thoughts on the United guys? Yeah, I own them both. So I was kind of happy that they came in with some points um, game week three. I'm probably going to keep both. We'll have a look at my team later. Um, but the thing is, is that Arsenal and Brighton next might not be ideal fixtures, but they go on a really good run after that. Fernandez is bossing the underlying numbers, as you can you can see there. Um, he's got pens. Um, he's on other set plays. Rashford, I thought, looked a bit better on the left um, at the weekend. Got a couple of assists. I have no doubt that the goals are coming for him as well. And again, I think it's very much team dependent. Um, I own two Arsenal midfielders as well, and I'm probably looking to sell one of those guys rather than Manchester United, just because of those fixtures from game week six onwards for them, which are really nice. Um, but yeah, if, if you... Madison, I admit, is is looking great as well at the moment. He's got Burnley and Sheffield United next, so I can understand why there's envious glances in his direction as well but I think United United players are fine to hold the, the midfielders anyway um, yeah 
I think bearing in mind that we haven't got Martinelli on here, for example, um, and he's kind of really underperformed for a lot of people. I think if you had Martinelli and one of those two United midfielders, it would be Martinelli who I would be moving on to get to Madison, uh, to be honest. So, mm. yeah, I think yeah. if you can, my, my general view is I want to get Madison this week. I'm probably going to get rid of Rashford to do it, whilst United have some trickier games and then get one of the, probably get Fernandez in a couple of weeks' time because I actually prefer him anyway. Uh, if I'm honest, so um, that's probably what what I'm looking at. That's very sort of very specific to uh, to my team. FPL Marshall pointed out, of course, in the chat that you know his fixtures do get better after the Arsenal game is out of the way. So it's a luxury move for some people to be able to move a United guy out and then bring another one back in. Um, to be honest, if you, if you can, yeah, do that, so, you know, yeah, especially with Brighton as well. You know, we'll touch on their players a bit later on, but their fixtures. You know, a lot of people own Matoma, for instance, and. Um, Again, he would be more of a priority sell for me than the United games, uh, the, the, the midfielders, sorry. So, um, yeah, again, it, it will keep saying it, but it's, it's so team dependent on who you own. And um, I think Brighton and Arsenal mids are probably a sell before United at the moment for me anyway. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's I think that's fair enough. Um, I think that's everything we can can get out of the goals imminent table. Um, we've had one person ask um, Neil Mope in a conversation about goals being quote imminent. Surely not. Mm-hmm. Well, you're absolutely right because I don't think we're going to talk about Marwi Tom. <laughs> no, he didn't even get on the pitch at the weekend, did he? I think no. um, Danjuma led the line and Dobbin was kind of out a bit wider. And they turned to the new striker who they've just signed ahead of Malpay. So, um, yeah, it won't be long before he's off this table and we don't even have to devote a minute to him. So, um, yeah, he's not an option. There's, <laughs> there's only one Neil I want to talk about in a Fantasy Football Scout video, and it's not the one who plays for Everton. It's the one who runs the editorial team of Fantasy Football Scout. <laughs> um, he's the one I want to talk about. Um, we're going to move on to the assistant minute table uh, now, but uh, yeah, thank you to everybody who's watching live, up to about 330 people watching live now. Um, but it's worth pointing out, only 54 of you have liked it. So come on, guys. I mean, let's, let's, let's throw Joe some holiday love. He's on his annual leave. Let's have him come back and uh, see all those likes in his name, um, you know, giving him a nice holiday gift. So get that like counter up uh, as we move into the uh, assists imminent table. Um, some really interesting names um, jump out here, to be honest. Um, let's, let's, let's briefly segue using Man United because, of course, uh, Fernandez also on this table as well. Um, four successful crosses, um, 11 corners, 10 chances created. Uh, only one player on this table uh, has more. Uh, key passes in the first three matches than him, but he's underperforming his XA, his expected assist by minus 0.82. Just, uh, I think it's just the one assist so far. Um, obviously, the, the 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 finishing at United maybe needs a little bit of work, and maybe that's what he needs uh, to bump that up. But it, just further confirmation that Fernandez actually is in pretty good statistical place. Yeah, absolutely. And Hoyland, um, we think he's he's getting close now to coming back. And um, that's been the problem for Fernandez for the whole of Ten Hag's reign, really, at Man United, going through to the, the, the beginning of last season. You know, he underperformed his expected assists because he's creating the chances, but they just haven't got a clinical finisher up top. Um, you know, it's Veghorst for a lot of last year and Martial coming in, but then can't keep fit. This year... Um, They've been using Rashford at top and then and then Martial again and then Sancho's had a couple of um, runouts in, in, in that position. But yeah, if they can get Hoyland in and they can get him, you know, converting those chances, uh, I mean, it's, it's I, I find it really difficult to choose between Fernandes and Rashford, but 
if you're just going on underlying data at the moment, he's undoubtedly the the better option. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, save your point five. And of course, uh, it seems to have a, a wider spread of, of points potential to draw from, yeah. you know, because um, the penalties in a way offset against Rashford being a bigger goal threat from open play, because United do get a fair amount of penalties with the tricky nature of their attacking players. And yeah, the assist potential, as you mentioned, is, is sort of largely incomparable, at least at United. Um, we'll stay with the red teams that we've all got lots of midfielders from, because the thing that jumps out to me most here, to be honest, is Saka. Now, in my mind, I'd got it in my head, especially from the way that he finished last season and to some extent from what I'd seen of him so far clearly my eye test was wrong I saw Saka as penalty boy only you know and I'd felt like in open play maybe some of the other guys were offering a little bit more what I completely had missed until researching this video is actually he's the most creative Arsenal player so far you know nine key passes which is more than any Arsenal player it's in the top five for all players in the first three two big chances created as well uh, he's in the he's joint second in the Premier League for that stat so again he is the best Arsenal creator so far um, if you're you know he's obviously got some goals already but he could be adding assists anytime soon if they can just finish their dinner so nobody has underperformed their XA delta on the assist in a minute table uh, by a larger delta than Saka so minus 1.36 yeah I had a little wobble with Saka after the uh, Selhurst Park penalty when Odegaard stepped up and I suddenly started thinking well look if Saka isn't on penalties he was actually outperformed by um, Odegaard and Martinelli last year when you remove penalties from the equation. So it got me thinking, you know, is he the best use of money? But then the comments from Arteta after suggested that he didn't know that much about the, the penalty. And then, of course, he stepped up at the weekend. So now we think he's suddenly back on penalties. He's obviously creating a lot. And suddenly now I think, you know, once we once we think he's got penalties, he's the best Arsenal midfielder to own. We thought he was under, underpriced at the beginning of the season. I think he still probably is a bit now. And, um, yeah, they just need to become... Uh, like like United, just a little bit more clinical in front of goal, whether that's um, that's Nketiah or whether that's Jesus coming back into the fold or, or you know, Havertz, um, who also appears on this list a bit further down, you know, um, his prospects have dropped a lot, haven't they? I mean, he was... Uh, he was withdrawn what was on 56 minutes at the weekend, I think. He's dropped um, He's dropped in price. Fabio Vieira came in and did really well. So... Um, yeah, Habert's not an option now, I don't think, but but Saka certainly is. And and he's just one of those options for me now. I think he's just a bit of a set and forget and just leave him there and he'll just keep on doing the business. Mm. Yeah, wobble is absolutely the right word to use because he was sort of mildly on the chopping mm. block for me after that as well. Uh, yeah. But as you say, it so. does seem like we don't need to be as worried as we thought we needed to be. And in a way arguably the Arsenal answer to Bruno Fernandes in the sense that, you know, he's got penalties and he's also the best creator. So, yeah, as you say, I think he's just got to stay there, especially with the fixtures that Arsenal have uh, coming up. Also at the top end of this table is... Now, <laughs> I feel like a bit of a broken record here and, and people might remember me making these comments in the preseason about Pascal Gross because mm. he famously last season outscored FPL points-wise Matoma, March and McAllister, but of the four highest scoring Brighton midfielders was the only one of those four not to get nominated for the Fantasy Football Scout Team of the Year probably because he just kept ticking along and he he was a little bit under the radar 
you know, I think he got, I think he got some returns against West Ham. So he's, he's not the sort of player who's yeah. going to disappear completely. But what we're seeing here is that um, he's not that far off from, you know, racking up some assists. 15 corners, 14 chances created. Uh, that's the most of any player on this assist imminent table. I mean, it's probably the wrong time to be talking about Brighton because I think a lot of people are looking for a, um, a Brighton uh, exit plan, a Brexit a Brexit, whatever you want to call it, uh, is very much on people's mind at the moment. But it's but they, they do come back into the equation, I think, around game week 13 when there's a possible opportunity for a wild card. So I've certainly got my eye on Gross. I want to see where this is going to go. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he pops up a lot in these videos that we do because he's such a good chance creator um, from, from open play and from set plays as well. I mean, it, last year... Yes, he did well for overall points, but I think that that Matoma and Marsh and McAllister, if you broke it down on a, a kind of points per ninety basis, I think that they, they, I think I'm right in saying that they both exceeded Gross. And he always, I think the fact that he kind of moved to right back quite often as well was really off-putting. Although he could still create from there, and he was taking set pieces and stuff. I think when you see a midfielder of your own and you see them at right back, even even in a fluid system like the Zerbies, it's it's pretty off-putting. But um, I watched a bit of the game on Saturday night against West Ham and just so much went through gross now. He's back in, in central midfield. He got the goal. He had five shots. He created six chances in that, that match alone. So, yeah, nobody's looking at Brighton now. Um, I think everybody who invested at the start of the season probably did it for game weeks one to three. Um, I think you could probably hold it for the Newcastle game if you need to, if you've got other areas. But I think I would be looking to move them on, certainly this week, or if not, if if you have to, then next week. Um, But, yeah, Gross is interesting. He's always been a good chance creator, even when he was over in Germany before that. And, um, yeah, maybe we'll have another look at it once the fixtures turn again. For Brighton, and we're looking at Matoma, Marsh, and and Gross. Um, we we might have to have another look at it, but I do feel that it's more it's more assist potential than than goal potential with Gross. But but that doesn't have to be a kind of a deal breaker there. And as you say, it's very much dependent on where he's going to end up in that team because he can end up in places that fantasy managers really don't want to see him. So, you know, the the best case scenario is he spends the rest of this season at right back so that he gets classified as a defender next year. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, but I mean, that's that's Mm. that's wishful thinking almost certainly. Yeah, he would need to rack up some more minutes at right back than he does in midfield. And uh, I think because they've lost um, McAllister and they've lost Casado, I think Deserbi actually quite likes Gross being in that that midfield um, with, with you know, um, Gilmore or um, Dahoud or somebody like that, just because it gives you a bit of familiarity. He knows the system. So certainly in the immediate few games, I see him playing more in central midfield than at right back. But who knows what will happen in the second half of the season. Yeah, never know. Anyone who wants that shift in the system to happen, find some way to just injure every single right back Deserby has access to, <laughs> and then maybe we'll get the holy grail of Gross as an FPL defender. But as we say, um, wishful thinking. Um, I think probably the only other name worth pulling out on on this particular table before we well, I tell you, let's go for two names. We'll, we'll we'll briefly come back to Eze, who also happens to be on this table as well. So those of you who are like, oh, what's he got to do to get some returns? Well, not that much more. Nine chances created. So. Only uh, Fernandez and Gross on the system in the table have created more chances than him. 12 corners, so heavily involved in those set pieces, underperforming against his expected assists by minus 0.63. So it's confirmation again that he's kind of the new Zaha in the sense that he is the talismanic figure who can get goals and assists at Crystal Palace. He just needs to 
yeah, just get some better luck. Yeah, and just um, looking at the next three fixtures, which are Wolves, Villa and Fulham, we're going to be looking at a, bit, a table, I think, a bit later, um, which is called Whipping Boys. And um, these next three opponents, I think, feature on that table, perhaps a bit unfairly with Villa, but if we're just looking at the stats from the first three game weeks, so that offers a bit more hope for, for Eze owners that um, that he can come good finally. Yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, and then the last name we're going to talk about unexpected assist because there has been a little bit of a chat about West Ham in the chat uh, about how they could have some some good punts for the next few weeks. Yeah. We've got Lucas Paqueta on here. Six chances created, one goal for himself. Uh, no assists yet so far. Uh, underperforming against his expected assist 0.61. I suppose, in a way, the reason Ward Prowse isn't here is because Ward Prowse can actually deliver on the expected assist. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so, Ward Prowse is what I'm looking at, to be honest. There's two midfielders ahead of Paqueta, I think, and it's uh, Bowen and it's Ward Prowse, and um, both really appealing for, for game week four. Then they have a couple of really difficult, well, I say really difficult, they play City and then they play Liverpool. Maybe Liverpool isn't quite so, so bad for a midfielder right now. Um, but then they go, I think they're top of the ticker from game week seven right through until mid-December they go on a generally a really nice kind of long run and that might be the time to invest but maybe people haven't seen what Chelsea did to, to Luton on Friday maybe they'll be thinking well we'll, we'll go early on a West Ham midfielder and um, I don't I don't dislike that it, it could it could potentially pay off it absolutely could do and yeah I think yeah when those fixtures do turn it, it does uh, happen at such a time where I feel like I'm probably going to wildcard because it's a big swing with lots of other teams whose fixtures improve all at the yeah. same time so that's very much uh, my thinking uh, with West Ham so yeah there we are um, let's uh, move on to some uh, some whipping boys as you said um, and thank you for everybody who's uh, still with us we've got about 330 in, in, uh, in the chat uh, still and uh, we managed to get it up to 82 likes so you're still about 200 and a bit short of where you should be if you're watching and you're not liking the stream we want to know why um let's let's move on to uh the whipping boys that might uh, get people excited of course whipping boys uh, is an expression we largely use when we're talking about captaincy of course uh but you know at the same time it's, it's very very useful just outside of that to just look at the defenses that are being tremendously obliging uh, in the last few uh, few matches um there's a number of different ways we can we can do this to be honest i mean there's there's total shots conceded this obviously gives you the story of you know who's allowing the most shots but sometimes you've got to think about where there's shots are coming uh you know shots in the box obviously is, is a big tester for that but big chances as well is another key uh, one to consider i mean brentford last year showed that you can concede lots of shots um but if you manage to have a massive gap between shots conceded and big chances conceded your goalkeeper is just going to rack up bonus and saves etc flecken obviously has a chance to do that uh, again this season to be honest so big chances conceded are the ones that are offering up the most glaring opportunities to score against them. And some interesting some interesting names here. So Fulham are worse so far for how often they're giving up big chances in the Premier League. So 14 uh, puts them bottom. Uh, Wolves are second worst. And so, uh, as you mentioned, Crystal Palace, Eze is playing them next. So Eze should get something this week. You have, to, you have to say this is the week when it's surely going to happen. Uh, but the interesting thing here is, to be honest, is that level with Wolves for most big chances conceded, uh, well, level for second most big chances conceded as far as is Brighton, which is, is very, very surprising. I suppose anybody who's, you know, maybe wants to go early on Newcastle, it might pay off. Yeah, well, they 
the the game on uh, Saturday evening um, was really interesting because West Ham went to the Amex. I think they only, I think I'm right in saying they only had 12 shots, but they racked up about 3.5 xG in those games. And um, there has been a few. I've, I've read a couple of pieces saying that teams are starting to work out how to play against Deserby and how to play against Brighton and sit back and kind of soak it up and then and hit them quickly on the counter-attack. And I, th- I, th- I still think Brighton have got a decent defence. I'm just going to have a look at how many big chances they actually conceded in that match on um, Saturday. Yeah, so they conceded um, six of their big chances in that match against West Ham. So then it's been a, a six over the other two prior to that. Now, I don't think Brighton are... Um, uh, a, a team that we should really target it for, with our attackers against their defenders. But um, Newcastle will ask questions. If they've got, you know, players like Anthony Gordon, Harvey Barnes off the bench, Alexander Isak, players like that, you can see them You can see them scoring at the Amex, certainly. Mm. Well, um, we've had a couple of people actually already asking this question before we came to this table. Uh, uh, AEXHD asks, is this Stupinan sellable uh, this week? Foregone Conclusion mm. says, uh, do I bench a Stupinan for Rico Henry due to the fixture, uh, even though Newcastle have lost Botman, for example? Um, a couple of other questions earlier on sort of trickling through, and I've seen it talked about this week. Um, what, would, what would you do with this Stupinan kind of in light of some of the things we've, we've had a look at here? Well, I say, yeah, what I would think you? he's. You've got him, I'm sure. So, what are you doing with this stupid now? It's probably a better way of phrasing the question. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, he's on my bench at the moment, so I'm not forced into the position where I've either got to play him or got to sell him. I can kind of get away with it. But I'm looking at these next six fixtures, and now, now Brighton did keep clean sheets, I think, at home against Newcastle, Bournemouth, and Liverpool last year. Their next three opponents at, at the Amex, but. I wouldn't be expecting that to kind of history to necessarily repeat itself. I think that the only real fixture which you want to be playing a stupid in in the next six is the Bournemouth at home game. I think you could play him against Newcastle this weekend because there's always a chance of attacking returns for a stupid and isn't there? He's one of the most attacking fullbacks in the in the division. But um, I completely get if people want to maybe move him for a Man City defender. Um, Newcastle after this week as well. Um, I'm eyeing them up from game week five. I think that um, I don't think the Botman injury sounds too bad. Keep an eye on that though. Um, but if you could move into somebody like Trippier, if you've got a bit of money in the bank, something like that. So um, yeah, I, I, I don't think you have to sell a Stupinam, but I think that you you could do it if you do it without worrying too much about it. Because I don't see huge returns in the next six game weeks. Hmm. Yeah, just to. Uh put some uh, some visualisation to what you're talking about in the Newcastle fixtures and indeed the Brighton ones as well. If you sort the season ticker between game weeks 5 and 14 for overall difficulty, uh, Brighton in, in the bottom four, in actual fact, because, you know, um, Man United, Villa, Liverpool, Man City, some really tough games for them. Newcastle, by contrast, second highest. Brentford at home in game week 5, which is, you know, maybe a marginal fixture, but having someone in place ready for Sheffield United away, Burnley at home, West Ham away, Crystal Palace at home, Wolves away. Bournemouth away in game week twelve, for example, you know, some we we all need to start thinking about our Newcastle plans. So, 
um yeah it's, it's definitely yeah. worth uh, worth talking about it let's jump into some ultra differentials before we come to our own teams and so what i've done here this is more of a bespoke selection of players who um are under uh, there's a couple that are under 10 percent. well they're all under 10 percent, and there's two that are over five percent and then i've picked a couple of others that are under five percent who uh take my fancy uh for the next couple of weeks and some of them we've talked about already to be honest um i mean matty cash obviously um we're both big fans of him now tom uh, just purely through locality and me uh, through the new for numerical reasons, you know, predominantly my FPL score. Um, of all the players I've selected, uh, he's the one with the highest expected goal involvement uh, so far, 17 points. Uh, there's a few people asking questions about him. And again, let's let's draw on your villain's experience uh, and knowledge here, Tom. It's it's away against Liverpool next up. So it's kind of, there will be people that will bring him in because he's got the big haul, but do we really think he can do it again against Liverpool is the question? Well, he played as a winger at um, Burnley at the weekend. Um, so he's a bit further forward. And I think five of his six shots in the box this season came in, in that match. And um, I know a few people were looking at him in pre-season. And there was, Emery had actually spoken before the season kicked off and said that, look, Konza might be used at right back. Um, this year um, and then tuck into form a three in possession which would um, which made us think well is Bailey going to be the right winger then and Conza is going to be the right mat- uh, right back in certain matches in certain in certain scenarios but Cash actually replaced Bailey and went further forward at the weekend and if we know he's going to be playing in that role he's an absolute no-brainer because he was a winger when he used to play for Forest very attacking. He scored in pre-season as well, playing the same role against Brentford over in the US. Um, I don't think there's any guarantees that he's going to be playing that role every week. I think it might be opposition specific. We've also got Alex Moreno to come back in and the dynamic might change a little bit because he's very attacking on the left. So I'm not sure if I'll be bringing him in now. I think if you own him, great. I think you've obviously benefited from those points like you have, David. But I think with Liverpool, Palace, Chelsea, Brighton next, I would be tempted to just wait and see on cash now. Um, See what happens with the system. See how advanced he is. And then in game week eight, when we play Wolves and West Ham, then you could maybe have another look at it um, then. But it's obviously exciting in playing as a winger. I mean, he got so far forward at the weekend. And um, it's great when you've got an attacking player like a defender in those kind of attacking areas um, because Villa are playing well as an attacking unit at the moment. He's going to get chances if he were to play that role every week. You make an excellent point that it does seem to be opposition specific, even down to maybe when you start him or when you own him, because um, there will be people who are fed up with me saying this, but I've, I've had an Aston Villa Crystal Palace defensive rotation in my team pretty yeah. much since the day the game launched and and I'm not deviating from that this week I'm going to start oh, Anderson good. over cash yeah. and it's it's still working and it continues to you know those games where I don't fancy the Villa clean sheet I'm just going to play Anderson yeah. instead they do link up uh, quite nicely and I should actually say thank you to Neil we made this joke on one of our team calls the other day about the fact that uh, Neil kind of talked me out of getting Dina in the early part of the season before he <laughs> got a big return I think in game week two um, I even went as far well, as to do my Geordie impression of him on a, on a team call to be like, you know, well, oh, I wouldn't do that. Well, <laughs> he's got, um, he's got, Dean's got assists in the past two game weeks as well. Um, but there is this kind of ongoing talk that he might be off. Um, he's been linked with Nice, I think. And um, 
And with Alex Moreno coming back longer term, that that's a bit of a risky move. Um, I didn't touch on that just then. Then people will be saying, well, why would you go for cash anyway when Villa were on the whipping boys table? But I think Villa had 10 big chances conceded on that table. Now, nine of them were conceded against Newcastle in game week one when we played a suicidal high, high line. And um, things have improved since then. So um, I still think of Villa defender. And I think... The rotation thing that you said, David, is really interesting because in you know when we were leading up to this season, people were saying, "Oh, why do you need to bother with defensive rotations? The defenders, you know, you can get Gabriel at the time who was popular, or, or Saliba now. They're, they're five million. You can get a Stupinan for five million. There's players like Akanji for five million. So and bottom 4.5 million, why even bother with defensive rotations? But I still quite like them. And it's why I've got a Palace defender like you, David, in my team, because I can bring them in in games four, six and eight and rotate them with with someone else. And I I, I still actually quite like it, um, despite the, the defenders from the big teams being underpriced. I think they can complement those players and you can have um, you can get access to some quite nice nice fixtures by doing it. Mm. I think the other thing also is that actually just the the higher performing teams in inverted commas don't actually offer defensive returns quite as regularly as you would like. I mean gone are the days when you'd see a Mourinho's Chelsea team get like twenty three clean sheets in a season or, you know, like yeah. uh, the, that season where United under Sir Alex Ferguson had Desar- Van der Sar in goal when they kept something like 11 clean sheets on the bounce or something ridiculous. Mm-hmm. We, we don't really live in a day and age where that kind of happens anymore because there is more onus on playing out from the back and, and sort of more expansive types yeah. of high-intensity football. Uh, you know, Liverpool, another team. I mean, there was a time when you had to have two Liverpool defenders and you had to pay over the odds for them. But actually, we playing the fixtures and saving some money and just swapping some defenders in and out is probably going to yield you more points than simply just relying on City from one week to the next. That's before we even get started on rotation. So, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I suppose in a way, me and you are both preaching to the converted here because we're both purists. We love a good defensive rotation. It's good to see they're still working. So um, anyone who's thinking about some of these guys, don't necessarily be put off by those bad fixtures. If you can compare them with someone else who is going to help you out there, then that is going to be uh, very, very useful. And as I said, thank you very much to Neil because if it wasn't for you, Neil, I would have gone Dino over cash and we could have been looking at a completely different story. So thank you very much um, to the Mr. Team News guru there. Um, who else have we got on the differentials? Well, um, I, you know, I, we haven't talked about this team at all yet and I want to talk about them now. Uh, Taiwo Wanyi at Nottingham Forest. I think he's got seven goals in seven games in the Premier League. He hasn't blanked yet this season, if I think I'm right in saying, 2.8% ownership. And everybody just refuses to pay him any attention, despite the fact that he's doing pretty well. And, you know, there that will come a time in a couple of weeks' time when Forest fixtures actually get quite good. So, he, crazily enough, Taiwo Wanyi is on my watch list. <laughs> yeah, he's actually he scored in seven successive league games, but he's actually scored, I think I'm right, nine goals in that time oh, because course. he scored a couple of because yeah. he scored a couple of braces towards the back end of last year, didn't they? Now we looked at it last year in a digest piece on the site and um looking at how many shots he's taken and it and it isn't sustainable going off the amount of shots he's taken. I think he had scored all of those goals in something like seven or eight shots or something like that. So longer term, you kind of start to think, well, that could be, he's going to need to up that basically. Now, I think he scored, he had three shots at the weekend. So that's moving in the right direction. 
And I do think Forrest are getting a bit better of his team. You've got Gibbs White who's creating for them there. I don't know what's going to happen with Brennan Johnson, but they've still got other players who can step in. So he's somebody I'm kind of keeping an eye on. I wouldn't bring him in now, given how fewer shots he's actually taking. But he's, if that level goes up a bit and he's taking three or four shots a week, or um, even if it drops a bit below that, you know, he doesn't necessarily have to be on four every week, but even like two or three, at least that, that would show me a little bit more for when, when the fixtures turn. But he's the main man there. I think he's probably going to hit double figures this year, isn't he? So, um, yeah, what, 6.5, I think? I'm not, I can't remember. I don't think he's yeah, gone he's, up he's yet 6.5. And, nobody's uh, looking at him, are they? That's the thing, 2.8% so, um, ownership. No one is, he's not getting price uh, rises. In a way, he's he's hidden behind a veil of your Jao Pedros and your Vissas um, and, you know, your Jacksons yeah. and your Watkins because he's kind of in a price bracket no one's really thinking about up front. Um, but the thing is, is the fixtures do get really nice for them at some point. I mean, when I say he's on my radar, he's he's a wildcard candidate for me. Now, game week nine at the moment is my most likely time I will, would wildcard, although I would yeah. quite like to hold on to see if I can do it around that blank game week that comes of, comes around with Man City. But, you know, in an ideal world, the fixture swing in game week nine does look very attractive. At that time, uh, between game weeks nine and 18, which is effectively the, the remainder of the first wildcard period, the only team that is ahead of Nottingham Forest for fixture difficulty mm-hmm. overall is West Ham, who we've already talked about as well. Another team we could be investing in on wildcards because they've got Luton at home, Liverpool away, which, as we mentioned already, any team can go to Anfield and score now. I think we know that. Uh, Villa at home, mm-hmm. West Ham away, Brighton at home, and it's 14 where they get even nicer. Everton at home, Fulham away, Wolves away, Spurs at home, Bournemouth at home. And so, yeah, only West Ham in that massive long run of games can offer a better fixture difficulty. So, and bearing in mind that the structure this year that seems to be affording people the most success does involve having a 5.5 or a 6.5 or a 7 million striker. I mean, I, yeah. can, I feel like at that stage, I can definitely make room for him. So I, I think people should definitely mm. be keeping an eye on him because he's just going to keep scoring, isn't he? And then getting ignored. And they're the kind of type of players we want to benefit from in FPL, the ones that nobody else has. Yeah, and game week nine is appealing for a wild card because it's the the next international break, isn't it, which precedes that. So again, it gives you a bit more time to tinker. And if he he does well, um, what's he got? Chelsea, Burnley, Man City, Brentford and and Palace. If he he chips in with another couple of goals, he doesn't necessarily need to be scoring every week. If he scores a couple more, then yeah, I can see him picking up a bit of interest in that Luton game in game week nine if people are are wild carding because... um, you know, people will be moving off people like Jackson around about that time because Chelsea's fixtures really toughen up. So, yeah, he'll, he'll be in the conversation, I think. Chelsea actually plummet to the bottom of the season ticket for that period. I mean, mm. you need it. Yeah. It's, it's what you do with Chelsea largely factors in. I think what you do with your wild card, if you're going to wild card early, you need a Chelsea exit plan. Maybe that's Nottingham Forest. Maybe yeah. it's West Ham because, of course, Antonio you could get to from a Jackson. Uh, but it is definitely worth knowing that this big run uh-huh. of Chelsea games, it is going to come to an end sometime soon. You need an exit plan. That's either with free transfers or potentially the wild card. So it's worth um, being considerate of that. We mentioned West Ham there. Another player uh, who's uh, not very well owned, 6.1% ownership is is Bowen. Uh, eight shots in a box, three big chances, five on target. He's created four uh, key He's played four key passes so far. Um, I mean, again, he's he's probably a wild card candidate, right? Seven million. Yeah, yeah. I've all, I mean, I've always liked Bowen. He's always been one of those ones where the differentials take. You know, we always when we're doing differentials each week, he's he's very rarely over five percent owned, and he's a player that is central to 
West Ham's approach and what they do. And Moyes was making all the right noises, saying we're, we're trying to get him in more kind of central attacking positions, um, that counter-attacking threat that we saw at the weekend. And uh, yeah, I really like him as a pick this week. I'm just a bit gutted that City and Liverpool follow him. And so I'm kind of thinking, well... And then they play Newcastle and eight as well. I'm thinking, is now the right time to move for Bowen? But um, we saw Sterling from that same position, that kind of right wing role, do a lot of damage against Luton last week. They, of course, play with wing backs. And he managed to kind of take advantage of, uh, of getting in behind them. And, and maybe Bowen can do the same on, on, on Friday. So, um, yeah, he's a... Uh, He's definitely somebody which you should be having a look at and considering, I think, and alongside somebody like Ward Prowse, who has already obviously got that that set piece threat. Um, and West Ham obviously so good at, you know, such a good aerial um, aerial based team. We've got a lot of tall players and they're going to take advantage of those set pieces as well. So suddenly from looking at West Ham and thinking before the season started, they haven't signed a player, they've lost Declan Rice, the captain, they're in trouble. Suddenly now, within two or three weeks... The team's actually looking quite exciting now, I think. Mm. Yeah, I'm very happy for West Ham, as people will know. Mm. My dad is, is a West Ham fan. If you watch General's Orders, you'll know that my dad is rubbish at FBI, ah. but he is a Hammers <laughs> fan. Um, so, yeah, it's nice nice to see the Hammers uh, continuing to, uh, to mm. tick along, even without even without Declan Rice. So, yeah, let's. Yeah. Um, what we're going to do now, we're just going to briefly look at how our team's uh, shaping up at the moment. But um, if you will use that time whilst we're talking through, if you stick your questions in the chat and we'll pick a few ones out for us to, to answer on specific areas of your team. As ever, the usual YouTube rules apply. Uh, we'll try as, our best to get to as many as we possibly can. But there are 334 of you in the chat. If you definitely want an answer, Super Chat's the way to go. No pressure, of course, but that's just uh, how Super Chat's... Uh, how they work, just in case people weren't aware. So, Tom, let's come to your team. Um, I've, at the moment, got how you got on in game week three on the screen, 54 points. Um, and then I've oh. also got your bus team hiding in the background, ready to reveal uh, once you've uh, talked us through your most recent exploits in the fantasy world. Yes, so 54 points. Um, Defence was a, a massive letdown. Um, obviously, I tuned into Soccer Saturday. And by about five past three, I was thinking, what is going on? Anana had lost his clean sheet. Saliba had lost his clean sheet. Chilwell, you know, I know he got six points, but again, that felt like a bit of a missed opportunity on um, Friday night watching the game. You know, he had that really good chat opening in the second half when he tried to pass to um, Sterling, I think it was, instead of take the shot on himself. So and Gusto obviously got 14 points. So, yeah, the the, the, the back four, like they they all all underwhelmed with, with, with Anana and goal. Um Ahead of them, I had a bit more success. Saka, Fernandez, and uh, Rashford all got all got returns. Um, both of the strikers returned, albeit with a with a penalty miss thrown in for Haaland. Um Bodogi on the bench, not ideal, but I was never really going to play him in ahead of any of those defenders. So I don't I don't feel too kind of frustrated with with, with that. And um my transfer last week was a thoroughly underwhelming Matt Turner to Ariola, the West Ham goalkeeper, which was largely based on this week when you shift to my team. It, it helps me a bit out a bit with my goalkeeper um, this week. Um, but he actually had a really good game at Brighton, which I was glad because there's always that worry with him that one bad game and Fabianski could could be given a run again. But he played really well then. And I think it's, it's his shirt to lose at the moment. I think... Um, 
he, he's definitely impressed. He saved the penalty against Chelsea, obviously. So, um, yeah, an average week, really. But that that's fine. It wasn't a bad week. And it managed, uh, I think, what rank am I? I'm uh, one about 190k at the moment. So I, I would I would have taken that at the start of the season after three three game weeks. It's um, there's a lot. I wouldn't be worried about ranks at this stage of the season. There's a lot of fluctuation. There's not many points in it. But um, I'd rather be higher than lower. So I'm OK with that. So. Yeah, I mean, I always say if in the first sort of six game weeks you can be uh, even in the top million, I think that's fine. I mean, I think yeah, and, and a good start yeah. is to be in the top maybe 200, 300k, which, uh, well, you know, we can happily say we both are. So fairly happy with that so far. You've obviously mentioned Ariola yeah. coming into your team, so I'll put your bus team on the screen now. Mm. And Udogi finally comes in, for his, which a lot of people are doing that this week because uh, you're not the only one who, um, you know, it, you left him on the bench. It is your destiny to start him this week. <laughs> Nicely done. Um, yeah, I mean, I always uh, kind of before the season started, I had, I think, the first eight game weeks mapped out with defender rotations. And um, I didn't go, there's no point in going beyond that, I don't think. But I had eight game weeks and game week four was always that week when I didn't really want to be playing a stupid and I think you can, but ideally I don't. Same goes with uh, my Arsenal defender. So I always wanted to pick um, defenders to complement them who had those good fixtures in, in game week four. And Mark Gahey is one of those at home against Wolves. Destiny Adogi, I think, having watched the Burnley Villa game at the weekend, I feel a little bit more confident in that. I was a bit unsure about Spurs and the defence and how many clean sheets they're actually going to keep um, with, with the new manager going in, a bit more front foot, more attacking. But they've actually pleasantly surprised me over the past couple of weeks. They've looked pretty organised. And so, yeah, I'm happy to play him this week. And um, yeah, the defense the, the defense looks okay, and that's that leaves me with a choice of well, maybe I don't need to do a stupid and this week. Maybe I can wait till game week five and move him to a Newcastle defender. Then take advantage of that good run, or I could move it a stupid into a City defender this week. But then that would make me benching a dogie, and I don't know if I want to do that. So I shall probably leave that as it is. I think the the defense and uh, the goalkeeper. Mm. Yeah, it certainly looks nice. The dogie's sort of on my shopping list uh, as well. In the interest of saving time, what I am going to do is I'm not going to bother with my team, how it got on so far, and what my bus team is, because I'm, I've actually already recorded a team reveal video specifically about my team. So in the interest of people actually bothering to watch that one and not having them then find out it twice. I'm going to leave mine for now and spend that time instead on helping you guys out because we've had some good uh, questions come in. Um, put some of these uh, to Tom and I'll give some thoughts as well. So uh, the first one is from Sander Flanagan who says, what to do with Richarlison? Mm. Well, he's massively underwhelmed, hasn't he? I thought he was a good pick at the start of the season, but it just, just hasn't happened for him so far, has it? It's, yeah. it's hard to take him out though right now because he... He's starting matches and he's got Burnley and Sheffield United, but I just think Madison's looks so good. If you haven't got other fires to put out, I'd be tempted with 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 I think a switch to him. Um, but it's certainly not urgent. I wouldn't mind playing Richarlison in the, the next two game weeks, but um, I can imagine he's been pretty frustrating to own. <laughs> what, what, what would you do? What would you do, David? Would you um, would I you keep him? Would you sell him? I think I'd make that um, switch. I think yeah. there's one. There's one golden rule in inverted commas of FPL that I've never actually agreed with, which is the idea of, oh, I shouldn't do that. It's a sideways move. And I, I don't necessarily think that it's always a bad thing to do that because we in FPL invest in players, not teams. And 
yes, Spurs have good fixtures, but clearly Madison is the one who is performing considerably better than uh, Richarlison for sort of two reasons. Now, um, anyone who's watched any of our videos over the last couple of days will have seen how well Madison is performing statistically. He is miles ahead of Richarlison in terms of what he's producing on the pitch. He's also miles ahead of Richarlison for just general happiness. <laughs> he is in a yeah. really good place of mind right now. If anybody's not seen that video of the Bournemouth fans kind of riling him up, talking about Southgate mm-hmm. being right for not including him in England teams, and rather than rise to it, he just sort of, you know, sort of with a big cheeky smile on his face, mocks them with where he puts the ball down to take the corner. And, and, and in the end, it cuts through that moment and these people who were abusing him five seconds ago are kind of laughing with him. It's, it's, it's a brilliant piece of sort of showmanship, which I'm gar- guaranteed he learned that from Jamie Vardy, I'm almost certain. But the point is, is that he's in this, he's just, he just looks a completely different player. And so therefore, having Richarlison doesn't necessarily get you any of that Madison energy. It doesn't get you, if Madison gets some goals, there's no guarantee Richarlison got the assist, to be honest. And so, um, yeah, this whole idea of moving sideways, it doesn't have to be as stigmatised as I think as it has been in, in years gone by. And so personally, myself, I would I would make that switch from Richarlison to Madison because they they're in completely different uh, echelons of performance right now. So, But I, I can yeah. understand the concern, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then the team is so set, they're going to be so set up around Madison, isn't it? He's essential to everything in that team. He's the main playmaker there. And um, I would be very, very surprised that over the next three, four game weeks, if that didn't move pay off, or, or that move didn't pay off. I don't, I don't think I'd be taking a hit or anything like that for it. But if you can do it and you haven't got other areas of your team which um, need more attention, then I think that would be a, a good move. Yeah. So. Uh, we've got two questions that are going to talk about uh, someone who recently was plying his trade in your part of the world, uh, Tom, but has now moved uh, north up to Yorkshire. Um, Garrick says, can Tom recommend Archer as a striker option now that he's moved to Sheffield United? And then we had another question come in, this one from Michael, who says, Archer or Semenyo as my replacement for Mubama? So it's a niche question, of course, 4.5 million forward, but sometimes they're what prop our squads up. So it's important to get it right. Yeah, I haven't seen loads of Archer because his impact, I say I haven't seen loads of him, I haven't seen loads of him at Villa Park because um, his impact has largely been in the League Cup and he hasn't he hasn't done much in the Premier League at all. He hasn't been given many opportunities. Um, but he obviously had a good summer um, with the England of the 21s, did well on loan at Middlesbrough last year in the second half of the campaign. So I kind of had high hopes for him. But um, yeah, struggled a little bit in pre-season, Missed the penalty in the US um, and then John Duran kind of came on in game week two and um, scored within like 50 seconds of coming on. And it felt like he just was slipping down the pecking order. So the move, the move felt right for him. I think we've got a buyback clause um, as well, which we do with quite, which we did with Ramsey, who's just gone to Burnley as well. Um, Aaron Ramsey, that is. But yeah, I think... Um, I think it's Sheffield United. I think it's a really good move for him. I think he's going to start in that team. We we had a piece on site yesterday where we had, um, which Neil wrote, which was excellent, but we had FPL Blade um, uh, contributing to as well. He thinks he's going to come in and play alongside McBurney in in that kind of hecking bottoms 3-5-2. And uh, yeah, I think he's the best 4.5 to own. I think um, I think he'll get ahead. Of, he'll get more opportunities than Semenyo. I think playing in that that role um, with off off McBurney, I suppose, and using his pace, he's good at dribbling with the ball as well. And uh, yeah, I think you know what 
your expectations aren't going to ever be too high with a 4.5, but I think he's the kind of player that you can sit on your bench, you'll get appearance points, you'll score the odd goal, and maybe even you can play him in, in certain fixtures um, when they have a decent home match at, at Bramall Lane, which which is probably in game week four with Everton. Um, so I think, yeah, I think he is playable uh, in, in certain matches. Just don't expect too much. You know, he's not going to bang in a hat-trick. But I think he might take over there um, and he'll get the minutes. And, um, yeah, he's got talent for sure. Hmm. Yeah, he's definitely going to he's going to nip in with a few goals. And it, it, it might even be like over Christmas where he becomes most useful for you. But when you just end up with that's when you inexplicably end up having to draw on, say, your third sub, for example, because of a, yeah. you know, a, just a completely unpredictable chain of no, no shows. So that's maybe when he's going to be uh, perhaps uh, the uh, the most uh, useful. Um, Ch- uh, Choco says, uh, would you rather sell Rashford or Martinelli uh, in order to get Burmo, Madison or Sterling? So. I suppose the operational part of this question is is which of those players to sell uh, in that little comparison, Rashford or Martinelli uh, and Burma Madison and Sterling. Uh, you know, well, we can make a secondary decision there, but I think the main thing here is which of those two is the most sellable. I think Martinelli. Um, it's not quite clicking for Arsenal at the moment. And you could say the same with United, but I think their fixtures over the next six are better than Arsenal's. And, um, yeah, I would be tempted to shift Martinelli before Rashford. I do think that Rashford's going to come good. I think it's a matter of time before he scores. And Martinelli, um, we don't know what's going to happen at Arsenal. We, he, maybe he'll be the next one to kind of have his minutes reduced in a certain match. So, uh, yeah, Rashford feels a bit more nailed on for those um, longer amount of minutes. And I think, yeah, I mean, Ten Hag challenged Rashford to score, I think, 40 goals in pre-season or something. So he better start soon because he's, he's running out of time. So, uh yeah, but now I think you'll be. I think I'll definitely sell Martinelli over Rashford. Yeah, and uh, well, just uh, um, on the Umbermo, Madison, Sterling. If there's sort of uh, mm-hmm. interest in which way to go there, personally, I think that Madison again is the more standout. Now, I have admittedly just talked about covering or sideways moves or whatever. Um, right now, both Umbermo and Sterling are offering sideways moves that are actually viable. You know, we've talked about how Jackson. Um, arguably is in better statistical form than Sterling and so therefore if you want to cover Chelsea's fixtures the fact that there is a guy who is performing who isn't Sterling and is a forward you can do it exactly the same thing with Mbomo and Visser Visser is has kind of we haven't really talked about him much in the stream because I think people have have either got him or they've got Mbomo so they're not really you know there's no decisions around uh, Visser but the point is is that Mbomo if you don't have him you you know, if you don't have room in your midfield, you can make room for Visser up front. If you can't find room for Sterling, you can use Jackson up front because they are good enough right now. Whereas Spurs don't have a forward who can offer you what Madison can. And so of those three, Madison has to have that little advantage because if you want to get the in-form attacker at Spurs, it has to be a midfielder. Whereas if you want the in-form attacker at Brentford or Chelsea, it could be a forward if you needed it to be, which usually helps influence decisions for me anyway. I don't know what you think, Tom. Yeah, I think that it's, it's, it's really interesting way of looking at it. Yeah, and, and um, yeah, Madison is the main man at Spurs, isn't he? I do like Mbomo because he's on penalties, and I think that really that really elevates an asset. They don't have to necessarily be playing well. They can just get, get that penny out, out, out of nowhere. And I, and I still think I find it really hard to look behind him, given his price. What is it, six point eight million now? Sterling Madison is probably the the biggest question of the week, isn't it? I don't think you know it's um, it's not straightforward. I think if you look if you're looking at four five weeks, then it's probably Sterling because I think that 
Spurs' fixtures get they've got a North London derby coming up, haven't they? And they've got uh, Liverpool as well. Um, after that, I still think Spurs can go and score there, but maybe maybe Chelsea's fixtures well, Chelsea's fixtures are better over over that kind of period. Sterling's stats. Um, he didn't. He wasn't showing anything in game weeks one and two. But anybody who watched that West Ham game um, when Sterling went there and Chelsea went there, you you could tell that he was getting back to that kind of point where he's a bit he's on it, and you could tell he was hungry and he was getting into the box a lot. He was putting some really good runs down that kind of channel, and you felt like he was getting back to getting that confidence back. He just generally looked a bit happier. And then that obviously translated into points on Friday. I think he's a really good option. I haven't quite weighed up who, who I like the most yet at the moment between Sterling and Madison. I think if I had to pick today, it would be Sterling just because of that, those fixtures over the next four. But I don't think you can go wrong with it with either really. I think they're both, they're, they're both very good. Um, picks and I completely get what you were. I do agree with what you were saying, David, in the fact as well that that Jackson and Wizza uh, alternative options at, at those teams. When at Madison, he's the main man, isn't he? There, you know, Kulusevski doesn't come close to him. Son is is overpriced compared to him. Richarlison isn't doing it, so he's the one. If you want to tap into those Spurs fixtures, he's the one that you you want to go for. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, but that's that's why I'm probably going to go. And I'm not going to rule out Sterling, mm-hmm. but for now, I think it's going to be Madison for me. We'll take one more question in just a second, but just a nice little shout out to Puckering Pickletoe, who says, uh, uh, Joe looking very young today. And I'm guessing, <laughs> guessing they mean me. Um, so thank you. That's very kind. Um, but I'm not that much younger than Joe. Don't worry. Um, I have a, I have a babyish face. I'm like the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer of the fantasy football world. You'd probably be surprised at how old mm. I actually am. Um, but very kind of you to say. Thank you very much. And just a quick reminder, of course, Joe is, is just on holiday. Don't worry. There's not any nefarious scheme. A- anytime I replace Joe on any video, and this happened a lot when I was here before, people kind of assumed there was this... I just see funny comments on social media about there being this sort of like Da Vinci Code-esque kind of infiltration from the inside where David is attempting to steal Joe or Az's job. I can confirm that none of that is true. <laughs> I say with a he with will a be back. camera. Yeah, he will he will be back. Um uh, yeah, I'm not gonna do an impression of the Terminator, but imagine him saying that. Um <laughs> let's get some let's get some additional likes just to celebrate the fact that Joe is on holiday having a nice time off. I'm sure he'd like to see that the light counter higher than usual just to celebrate the fact that he's getting some time away, much deserved and uh, well earned. But as I said, one more question, which I think is is a good one for this week, which has come from Mogambo who says Salah keep or sell which I appreciate is like actually quite a sizable question to ask as the last one because in years gone by you it would shake the earth to even think about it but we're in a different times now yeah I think Salah's he's never going to be a problem in a team because he's still ticking over this season without hit a bit like Watkins you know what is it five points I think he's got so far and it would have been a bit more if the penalty would have gone in and which he eventually converted but if it would have gone in without the minus points but um I do. I, I feel the same way as I did in game week one. That I think you're better off selling him, and I think just redistributing the funds. We see so many good mid-price midfielders at the moment. I don't think realistically you're going to captain Salah anytime soon, given Man City's fixtures and the fact that Haaland is there. Um, I wouldn't captain him against Villa. I think the West Ham game at the next Anfield one after that, West Ham are playing pretty well at the moment. He then goes to Tottenham. And when at the same time, you've got City with home games like Fulham and Forest and things like that. So I just think, yeah, if you, especially if you've got two free transfers and you can upgrade another player um, 
and maybe get two good mid-price players instead of Salah and a much cheaper one. That that's what I would do. And I think the goals will be. We said it before in preseason. The goals might be more spread around Liverpool this uh, year with Gakpo moving into midfield, um, which he didn't do at the weekend, but he had been doing previously. You've got Jota there. You've got Diaz back as well. Now there's there's a lot of players who can score goals in that team, and it might not they might not be as reliant on just Salah to get the goals. So, yeah, I, I think I think if you sell and you reinvest, then the two players that you get will, will be stronger than Salah and a much cheaper one. Yeah, it's all about sort of points per million spent in many ways. Because point made in the chat um, by I think it's Michael Brook who says Salah, Salah hasn't blanked yet. So why would you sell? I mean, I suppose yeah, the answer to the question is it's what true. you can, what what can you achieve with that money? And I think the best possible um, explanation of what you can sometimes do by selling that expensive player and spending that money, uh, in my personal experience, was simply last season where I started last season with upfront Harland, Kane, and Jesus, which was doable last year, and I, and I wanted to do that so that I could move away from those expensive forwards if I needed to now Kane very rarely disappointed he he uh, gave me returns almost every single week right but going into the World Cup I was ranked something like 800k and I was on course for literally my worst ever season of all time I made the decision when we had the unlimited transfers of like look I don't think Kane is a bad option and he didn't have a bad World Cup he didn't have an amazing one and of course the missed penalty cost us getting to the, to the semi-final but you know I didn't necessarily think Kane had lost his mojo in any way I just looked at what I could do if I got rid of him and spread the cash mm. and and from after the world cup i came out of it 800k and i finished the season at 10k or, or just outside the top 10k um because but but all while that was happening kane continued to deliver and every week he was being talked about like why don't we just own kane because he delivers all the time and i was sat there not having him going that's great but seven or eight points every week in in a way in a way that's going to limit the rest of my team and what it can achieve Actually, my my ceiling um, is is just much higher if I take that steady Eddie yeah. player getting me single point returns every week. I'm not captaining because Harland is around, um, and and spreading it around to more explosive players actually made a like humongous difference to my team. So it's very much that kind of ideology of fine. He's not a bad player. Yes, maybe he's returning, but they are all just single digit returns so far. I'm not really seeing an explosive player yet. And so, I mean, that's why I sold him for Foden. So you have to think about what that money can do, as Tom said there. And I said, that's just a bit of personal experience from myself where removing the reliable player who's expensive sometimes makes your team better, but you've got to spend the money right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's so many good mid-price midfielders at the moment. If you can go out there and get Madison and a Sterling, or um, you can have a Fernandez who complements one of those for what you get for Salah and one other player would be much cheaper. Um, I think, yeah, I think those mid-price midfielders, there's a, such a lot of value in there that we can tap into that now. And yeah, I don't think, I just don't think you're going to captain Salah that much in the in the the immediate kind of what, four or five game weeks. Um, I'd be surprised if you captain him at all in that time. So um, yeah, I think, uh, I think you can sell him now absolutely well with that rather depressing fact you know that used to be <laughs> used to be on these tuesdays we're like captain him or your or your team will be broken but of course yeah as you say it think, does seem um, like Tom Selling, but i think there will be a time when he does become a factor again and it might not be um it might not be that far away it might be in a few weeks time and if we think that he's got fixtures where you can captain him or you can possibly go against Haaland when he has trickier matches. He, he he will come back into the equation. He's a great player. Nobody's doubting that. But just at this moment in time with these fixtures, bearing in mind how strong cities are, I, I, I just think you'll be better off um, 
spreading the money around the squad a bit. Mm. Well, I mean, it's worth pointing out that in game week nine, which seems to be the wildcard time for a lot of people, Everton come to Anfield when Man City host Brighton, uh, who, uh, you know, no pushover these days. And then in game week 10, away away at Man United. We've been here before. That's a hard feature for City. And then he scores <laughs> a hat-trick, of course. But Liverpool do host Nottingham mm-hmm. Forest that week. So that there are going to be opportunities the one. in the future. Yeah. I suppose another one, Sheffield United away for Liverpool in game week 15 when Villa, Villa are hosting Man City. So there are going to be times. They're just not yet. They're in the future. Keep Salah in the back of your mind yeah. for that wild card, almost certainly, is is the way to go. Well, with that, Tom, I think it's time to uh, to to round things off. Um, thank you, everybody, to uh, for joining us uh, today and uh, not being too put off by the fact that the the, the creator himself of the goals imminent table uh, uh, wasn't with us today. So thank you for being uh, welcoming enough to let me join the goals imminent party. It's been uh, been good fun. Um, actually, one question on: We need a video on the uh, game week nine fixtures things. We've already done one actually. If you go and have a look at the video called "When to Wildcard," um, I did that with Mark uh, on Monday morning. Um, we've kind of broken down the different points in time when those fixture swings happen and Tom there's probably I'm going to guess I should probably know this there's probably some analysis of the same on the funniest football scout the website if you prefer written content to uh, to video and audio well funnily enough David yeah I did write one in pre-season <laughs> which has been just been updated um, and I think if you go onto the, the website it's in the featured box it's quite prominent near the top and it's just got best times to wild card um, it discusses a, a little bit about um in the next, the first international break, doing it then if you need to do surgery. Game week nine looks really nice. And then it just touches on a few other times further down the line with um, cities blank and, and things like that that you might want to just consider as well. And um, so, yeah, have, have a look at that and watch the video as well and get some different opinions on it. And um, I do like using a wild card to hit a fixture swing rather than hopefully my team won't be in a position this year where I have to use one and I can do it to kind of change five or six players and really tap into a a decent run of fixtures for a team, which maybe other people will only have maybe one asset from and I can kind of load in with three and go all in. And that's what I ideally want to use it for. And maybe game week nine is the time. So... Mm, yeah absolutely so keep an eye out for all that content hopefully it helps uh, shape your team as well quick uh, other reminder of course uh, to like this video if you found it useful or if you enjoyed it uh, subscribe to the Fantasy Football Scout YouTube channel as well and hit that bell notification so you don't miss uh, any of the content we've got all sorts of uh, videos coming up this week burning questions on Wednesday this week so you can catch that uh, tomorrow um, there's going to be General's Orders later today uh, my team reveals out tomorrow as well we'll have Deadline Dilemmas with Rich and uh, Hibbo again whilst uh, Praz is on his travels and there'll be of course a Deadline stream on Friday so loads of content to uh, check out make sure uh, you don't miss it but with that we shall leave you fine folks to enjoy the rest of your fpl tinkering and we shall see you next time